everybody. It's Dr. Nicole with the Taproot Conversations and welcome to our podcast. Hey, and this is Dr. John D'Ambrosio and we are here with a very special guest, Sean Leatherman. Sean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, how you doing? Uh, I'm a chiropractor in the Panhandle of Florida in the city of Fort Walton Beach, which is uh, about equally distant from Panama City and Pensacola. Beautiful area. <clears throat> Absolutely. It is. Sean, how long have you been in practice? I've been in practice for about 18 years. So you have a lot to contribute to these students out there today. Well, I like to think that I do. <laughs> I know that you do. I know that you do. So can you start out and tell us a little bit about why um, why did you become a chiropractor? What inspired you to be a chiropractor? Well, I have a pretty non-traditional story about how I got started in chiropractic. Uh, I was actually uh, studying to go to medical school and had, you know, taken my MCATs, done my initial paperwork and uh, sent out applications for medical school. I did not get into the school that I wanted to get into. So... I was told I needed to retake my MCAT and get a little bit of higher score. And while I was waiting to do that, <clears throat> a couple of buddies of mine were going off to chiropractic school. One was a pharmacist and he'd only been in pharmacy for about two years. And uh, one of the, my other friend who worked with him was a pharmacy tech. Inpatients over and over, week in, week out, they watched him get sicker and sicker on more medications. They would come in, get four or five medications, They'd look into the grocery cart and they would see Coca-Cola and white bread and chips and horrible foods. And it was just a never ending cycle. So um, I was, you know, working towards medical school and I, I told them, I said, listen, when they told me they were going to go to chiropractic college, I kind of laughed. I said, uh, why don't you go to medical school with me and be a real doctor? Cause you guys are already well-trained, you know, and they were, you know, they kind of got my face a little bit about it. We were, we're good buddies at that point. And they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what a chiropractor does. And they were right. I didn't know what a chiropractor does. And so at the time I was a personal trainer, I was competing on the soccer field, uh, indoor soccer twice a week, beach volleyball twice a week. I was running my own landscaping business, going to night school, finishing up very, very active guy. And uh, my buddy Alan was like, this is right up your alley. This is natural healthcare. And uh, the more I talked with him, the more I started to understand it and like it. So fast forward six months later, I'm moving across the country. I'm going to chiropractic school. Never had an adjustment in my life. I just trusted my buddies. And um, I liked what they had to say about the natural form of healthcare versus prescribing pills all day long. And that's how it got started. I didn't get my first adjustment until I was three trimesters into chiropractic college. Wow. wow. That's a, that's a great story, and I'm not sure if you know, but how did these guys who were entrenched in uh, pharmacy school and graduated making money know the chiropractic philosophy and know it well enough to say, we want to get out of this and get into chiropractic and then convince you to join them? Where did they get their philosophical base? You know what? I, I have no idea. Um, all three of us were really science-minded guys. Um, <clears throat> I played volleyball with one guy, and he was my roommate. The other guy, super, super intelligent guy in pharmacy. 
And I don't know where that ideology came from, from the other guys, but it just seemed to mesh well with me and what I was doing in my life currently. So where'd you guys end up going to school? Uh, All of us went to Cleveland Chiropractic College. Um, I moved out there in 1998. Uh, My one buddy, Alan, was already a year ahead of me. My other buddy, Kevin, was a trimester ahead of me. And uh, I moved out there only knowing those two guys, no job, packed up all my stuff and uh, realized that I was moving into a three bedroom house with four guys and had to build my own bedroom in the basement. (laughs) But we made it work. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So you, you had waited a while to get your first adjustment. And I think that's interesting. What kind of spurred you on to get it? Or where was a hesitancy where you waited instead of experiencing it since you were kind of going into the field? Well, <clears throat> once I got to chiropractic school, I mean, we had a nine try program in our, in our college. Um, I, don't, I don't think they have those anymore. So you were doing four years of coursework in nine trimesters. So I signed up for this nine trimester program which was 33 credit hours over 16 weeks. And honestly, I had time for nothing. I would go to school. I would go to work. I would go to school. I would go to work. I had zero life at all. And then after that first trimester, I dropped down to what's called our 12 trimester program so I could work more through school and that I could open up my lifestyle a little bit more. And after that point, um, I started to get to know some of the other students that were upperclassmen. You know, they need to have, their, their adjustments in the student clinic. And so I said, okay, I'm going to be a patient for you guys so I can go in and start learning more about this because I was just entrenched in the, in the sciences portion at that point. Right. So, um, well, Sean, before I ask you our next question, when do you remember like what your body felt like when you got your very first chiropractic adjustment? Like, do you remember what that felt like? Yeah. You know, interestingly enough, I had no fear whatsoever because I'd been at the school for a while, right? Mm-hmm. I trusted the person that was giving me the adjustment. Um, but I'll tell you what, he adjusted me the first time and he's a powerful big guy who was adjusting me. And at first, you know, pardon my French, but first thought was, holy shit, did he just break my spine? <laughs> and then I kind of got up off the table with a surprised look on my face. And I was like, man, that felt great. <laughs> and so uh, it was kind of hooked right after that. I mean, I went in every week to get adjusted after that. And I have been adjusted every week since that time period over 20 years. Yeah. Awesome. So when you graduated, Sean, did you um, do an associate or did you open a practice right away? Uh, I, I was an associate. I was fortunate enough to have an associate position secured before I graduated. So I knew exactly what I was doing and where I was going. Got it. And would you recommend students go that path or would you recommend um, them opening their own practice? And why would you recommend that? Well, after, you know, 18 years in practice and interviewing probably 50 different associates over the year to hire in my office, um, I've learned Mm -hmm. quite a few lessons. I thank God every day that I was an associate first and a business owner second. Uh, I owned my own business before I went to chiropractic college. I did well. You know, Mm -hmm. I I gave up an $80,000 a year job uh, to go to chiropractic college in my Mm -hmm. mid-20s. And um, when I got through school and got into that associate position, it really opened my eyes and taught me that I really didn't know anything about business. And that realistically, even though I was considered a very good adjuster at my school and I graduated very well, 
that I really didn't know anything when I graduated. Um, you know, school prepares you extremely well for all the details of boards, but clinically, when you step out and you step into that world of seeing real people who have real problems versus the 60-year-old guy that's being adjusted for 40 years at the student clinic, it's a shocker. Yeah. And uh, my first month in practice, I stepped into a clinic that was seeing 400 patient visits a, a week, mm -hmm. had, had three doctors. Mm -hmm. And I just did exams and stuff like that. I started adjusting my own patients. And I pulled one of the other doctors aside one day and I was like, listen, I said, I'm in over my head. I don't know what I'm doing here. My adjustments are horrible. And I was super confident in school. Mm -hmm. uh, very well regarded as a good adjuster. Went through the motion palpation courses, everything. I did a bunch of extra coursework. And uh, that first month in practice, you know, it kicked my butt a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I had to pull one of the docs aside and I'm like, listen, I need you to mentor me a little bit and show me what I'm doing wrong. And seriously, just a few tweaks from those doctors made all the difference in the world. And then in that practice, when we're seeing 425 patients a week, mm -hmm. my fourth month in practice, the doctors decided they're going to take off uh, one day and go golfing in the clinic. I saw 108 patients in one day by myself. And mm -hmm. it was eye-opening. Uh, it was daunting. It was eye-opening. I was exhausted. But I'll tell you what, I grew more that day than I had in the previous year and a half. Um, so there was a lot of opportunities to learn and see things that I didn't think I was ever going to see in practice. I saw them all in the first year. Yeah. That's awesome. great. And I think it's funny. I think a lot of students experience this. They're, they're very good adjusters or considered very good adjusters in school. And then they get yep. out into the real world. And I think a good analogy is, you know, you take a driving test. You think, well, I... I aced the, the class at school. Mm -hmm. I went through, I parallel parked and I'm great. I'm an awesome driver. And then all of a sudden you're thrown in the throughway and you're like, oh my God, what am I doing? I shouldn't even be behind the wheel. And it's yeah. kind of like the same thing. It's, you, you, you have to experience it to grow and become better. So I think that's great that you brought that up. It, it was definitely an experience. And I definitely felt like I was on the Autobahn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So now you used, you had um, one of the doctors in your clinic as a mentor. Did you have any mentors while you were going through chiropractic school? Actually, I had quite a few mentors that were teachers at the school. And obviously they're doing what they're supposed to do, but reaching out to those docs in between clinical rounds, patients, stuff like that was also great. But one of the things I did in my last year of school is I really started to get involved in a lot of outdoor seminars. So outside of the school. And I took coursework with Dan Murphy took coursework with uh, Don Harrison, took coursework with uh, Art Croft, and getting next to those doctors and putting myself next to people who were experts upon experts was huge. And it completely changed my clinical focus and what I thought practice was going to be. Um, it's also the reason why I got my first job, because I was actually referred from one of those organizations into a clinic. Um, which was awesome, but my knowledge of actually having to see something from a clinical perspective versus a book perspective was greatly changed by those guys. And as I move forward, uh, doctors like David Seaman, um, doctors like James Chestnut, um, I took their coursework. I've done sports certifications, the American Chiropractic Board of Sports Physicians. And realistically, I would say that the biggest mentors in my career came from those 
educational programs that were outside the chiropractic curriculum. And then when it came to business, I picked up another mentor a few years ago, Dr. Fred Domenico, And uh, that made a huge difference in my practice as well. That's awesome. great. It's absolutely important for students to under and new docs to understand they don't have to do it alone. Finding a mentor or multiple mentors is key in kind of helping you shortcuts through all the mistakes that you would normally make through experience and trial and error. I would say not only to, to use your word key, I think it's imperative and it's something that if you do not do it, you are going to fail. And the taught 50% of chiropractors of the profession fires and when women chiropractors, it's like 80%. That daunting to know as a student that's coming out with 300000 worth of dollars worth of student loan debt. You've got mentors and you've got to attach yourself to them. And, um, you know, people like myself, people like, you know, I was paying for our cross class. I was paying for the Harrison's coursework. I was paying for all these courses. But the key is not necessarily the coursework. It's going to dinner afterwards and sit at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. And the conversations that being able to ask questions. You grow as a doctor, as a business person, as a husband, as a wife, all these things immensely putting yourself to have that experience. It's invaluable. Oh, we're losing him again. Sean, we lost you. There you go. No, nothing. I can hear you, Nicole. You can. Okay. We lost. We lost you for a little bit. Yeah, we. I can hear you now. Yeah, you're just your face is frozen, but that's okay. Right, we can still hear what we need to hear. Yep. I think, or do we lose him again? That was some. That was good stuff. That was like students need to hear that. They do. Sean, come back. <laughs> that was awesome. There he goes. Maybe we'll, hopefully we can splice some of that because I want him to repeat that. Yeah. That was, that was good. What he was saying, right, was that the biggest part of, for him, the biggest contribution was having the dinner afterward and rubbing elbows with these people and like soaking up all this information mm -hmm. from things beyond the uh, class, like the classwork that- Yeah, and I think that's important at any seminar you go to. I mean, if you just go to the seminars or the, you know, the conferences and you go back to your room and go to sleep, you're missing out on one of the biggest parts is socializing and casual conversation with these speakers and other chiropractors because that's really where you get everything you need without any filter. Right. You think I should pause the recording? Sure. All right. Okay, All right. Sorry so, about that. Uh, no, no yeah, worries. So, so, so going out to dinner afterwards, that's, that's what I was talking about. And, um, you know, when you, when you find these mentors, when you take these seminars, when you go into people's clinics, 
it's not what you're seeing on the coursework. It's not what you're seeing in the clinics so much as when you put yourself next to these people that have all these years of clinical experience and lifetime experience and, you know, patient experience, um, you get to ask pertinent questions. And when you ask a pertinent and a powerful question and someone responds with their knowledge and heart, you can go back and apply that on Monday morning and Tuesday morning. That's where the huge growth occurs. And being able to be next to these, what, what I would consider giants in our profession, and then just tag along for the ride and, you know, ride their coattails with questions is invaluable in my experience. And I think it's invaluable in everybody's experience to be able to have that. I agree. And that's a, a point Nicole and I were talking about. Whenever you go to one of these conferences or seminars, it's important to not, okay, time's up. Let me go back to my room and review my notes and go to sleep. You want to go out where everybody else is going and you want to talk to these people and get to know them because filters are off then and you can really, you know, they're presenting in a, a format that they want everybody to understand, but it's not personalized. You get that one-on-one -on -one time and really get to know that speaker or those other doctors who are friends with that speaker. You get a whole new perspective, which could change the way you practice in a way that just attending the seminar would not. Absolutely. Right. And the funny thing was, was, so you guys that are listening out there, you didn't hear this part before we started recording this, but, you know, we all, all three of us have been in practice for almost right around 20 years. John, you've been in practice 25? 26, 28, something like that. Okay. So a long time, right? Yeah. So like, we all, we all got together and we said, well, we could definitely tell you what not to do, right? <laughs> But sometimes yep. what not to do is like worth more sometimes than what you should do, right? Yeah. And that's where I think in those conversations, Sean, that you have um, outside of the, the classroom time, I think we get a lot of those what not to do, right? Absolutely. Yep. So true. Nice. So going back to school, what do you wish you paid more attention to in school? I know it was pretty intense, especially initially when you were, had really no time until you switched the, the format of the program. But is there anything you wish you paid more attention to? Or did you feel you got the most you could out of your school experience? Um, I do feel I got the most out of my school experience. I took it very seriously. I'm a, I'm a pretty serious guy. I mean, most people that know me will tell me I need to lighten up a little bit more and uh, think that I'm pretty intense. So I really attacked school. One thing though, I will tell you that I did not pay enough attention to was student loan debt. And um, I know the student loan debt is more now than it was when I graduated, but I graduated with $185,000 of student loan debt. And my wife's a chiropractor and we graduated at the same time. And she graduated with $150,000 with student loan debt. So we started our careers, you know, $350,000 in debt before we even moved across the country, had a job or anything else. And that's wow. challenging. And if knowing what I know now, I would have been extremely frugal with that. Um, I did work a lot and I made quite a bit of money while I was in chiropractic school. And I spent a lot of it on traveling and seminars. And I would have repurposed that a little bit more to have less debt when I graduated. That was something I really wish I would have done. And that nice. is really great advice because I know for me, and when I, when I went to school, you know, getting the student loans, it was just something you did. And yep. when those checks came in, you're like, wow, it, this is the extra money I have. And instead of not taking it, you're like, I'm going to down to Florida for a week or, you know, on my break, or I'm going to, you know, buy this or buy that because you feel 
once you graduate, you're making a ton of money. You're, you're going to be a doctor for crying out loud. And that's, in a lot of cases, that's not reality. So yeah, absolutely. You need to really, like you said, take a look at that student loans as the money comes in and take what you need and yeah. don't use the rest because you're going to regret it later. Yeah, we actually used part of our student loans for living expenses. And that was a horrible decision to make because, uh, you know, obviously I lived in a much nicer apartment than I needed and paid for something that I was hardly ever there except for to sleep in. Total waste of money, bad decision. And, uh, you know, don't make that mistake that I made. Yeah. Yep. I did that too, Sean. And Not smart. Uh, yeah, I did that too. And you, you know, you're just going through it and sometimes you're just going through the motions and not really, that was like, that was me. Well, John knows me pretty well. So it's not going to surprise <laughs> you when I say I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> so, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Really, really great point. Um, so I, I have a really, I love this question because this is something that is near and dear to me. And also um, this is the reason why John and I do these podcasts. It's for the future of our profession. So where do you see chiropractic or where do you think that chiropractic will be in the next 20 years? In the next 20 years, I've got a two-part question or a two-part answer to that. Uh, I, see, I see slow growth for chiropractic moving forward in the next 20 years not fast. And the reason why I say that is because the only reason chiropractics exists right now and the reason why it continues to exist and it's starting to expand more and more is because of patient desire. You know, our, our ability to market as a profession has been pretty dismal in my experience. And that includes my school experience. I don't think we do a very good job of that as a profession. We also don't have a unified message, which is not good. And we're kind of seen as used car salesmen a lot. However, when you go to the clinics that are kicking butt and the patient experiences that are happening inside those clinics is what's driving this profession. Mm -hmm. And I see it more and more and more where you'll, you'll look at uh, surveys and these younger generations are saying that they are going to be going to a chiropractor more as their primary healthcare doc because they don't want the status quo of what they've been seeing happen to their parents and their colleagues and all that type of stuff for the last couple of years. And then you see something like what we just we're, we're starting to come out of with this COVID madness. And, uh, you know, chiropractic patients are seeing it completely different than the medical patients are. And yeah. I've seen that happen in my practice as well. And so I, I think we'll continue to grow. We'll continue to move forward. Um, but we again, to go to talk about what I said before, that growth could be double or triple or, or more of what I think it's going to be. If people would just align themselves with mentors and get out and share the message of what we do as chiropractors, cannot state that enough. We got too many docs that are got their head in the sand and they're not out promoting what they do and how they do it or talking or doing any of that other stuff. And mm -hmm. the medical profession is doing that a hundred times a day, probably a hundred mm -hmm. times an hour. And we cannot compete with that unless we're vocal. So second part of that question is the reason why I'm agreeing to even be on here right now is because of you, Nicole. I know what you're doing right now. And what you're doing right now is something I wish I would have had when I was in school. If I would have had someone, if I'd have had access to someone like yourself when I was in school, it would have completely changed the first 10 years of my practice. So instead of struggling and working wow. harder and you know 
going to every marketing event on the face of the earth and selling myself short just to get in front of people, I would have had more power. I would have given up command to gain control, which would have been awesome. And I would have been a lot more successful early on in my career instead of in the last, you know, five to seven years of my career. It would have made a big difference. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Sean. I appreciate that. And that's that's a, a great answer. And I think part of that is because of Nicole's passion with Elite. Now, how has Elite impacted your life and your practice? Well, I actually wrote down something for this because I wanted to share a few things for you guys. Okay. Now, first of all, Elite was a game changer for my practice. And, you know, that doesn't mean anything unless I quantify and, and qualify what game changer means. Yes. So let's, let's, let's listen to a few statistics here. According to IBIS World, which is basically a website that marks professions and stuff like that, the current chiropractic market is $15 billion a year, okay? There are 65,290 clinics in the United States. So that's an average of $229,000 per year of collections per clinic. Let's, let's listen to that again. $229,000 per year on average per clinic. So that doesn't sound very good to me. My clinic, when I started Elite, I was, uh, I collected $580,000 the year that I started Elite. So I was uh, doubling what the average is, okay? Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot because I was burnout. I didn't like chiropractic. I was thinking of leaving the profession. Um, I, I just really didn't want to do what I was doing anymore. And my wife talked me into going to Elite. I didn't want to be there. So um, I'd done coaching before. I'd done a management program before. I even joined a franchise to learn some business models, which was a absolute nightmare. And uh, then I joined, uh, started training with Fred and Elite. So after about three months of being an Elite, not wanting to be there, uh, I started to pull my head out of my butt and implement it. And as I started implementing, within two months of doing the implementation process, my practice started to grow. I had my lowest month ever in December for new patients, but I had my highest collections mm -hmm. because new patients were signing up for care. They were paying in advance and I was de-stressed. So fast forward the next year, my clinic grew by 60% in one year um, from $580,000 in collections to 900,000 in collections. Did that in one year. The next year we grew another 10%. That's up to 1 million a year. And then COVID hits. So COVID hits and everybody around is their clinics are being shut down. Their patients are falling out. Uh, I'm talking to my buddies. They're like, I'm 50% down. I'm 60% down. I'm 70% down. We dropped 9% on the year and still finished the year at over $900,000. We're starting this year stronger and we're on point to do 1.2 this year. Elite nice. is the reason for that. And it's not because elite is some type of voodoo sales pitch. It's mm -hmm. because you learn how to communicate. And mm -hmm. when you can communicate, people understand what you're doing, why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. I'd never sell chiropractic in my office. I don't have to. Mm -hmm. And my average treatment plan is about $4,000 and I don't bill insurance. Yep. So people know when they come to Dr. Leatherman's clinic, they're gonna be put on a treatment plan. People know we don't bill insurance. We haven't built insurance for four years. And the average person is going to fork over $3,600 to $4,000 per treatment plan. That is per treatment plan. If they need another treatment plan, we discuss it. It's my moral obligation as their doctor to tell them what they need and communicate it effectively. 
it's their yeah. responsibility as a patient to figure out what they want to do and make a choice. Yes. And that's the way we run it in our office. But if I can't communicate, I can't get behind the objections and I don't know how to reach that person, they will never mm-hmm. make the choice for their health because a new TV, a new boat, diamond ring, rims for my car, that's always more glamorous. And it's in the want category, not the need category. I communicate mm-hmm. with patients now, I communicate with their wants, but they understand the need. And it is a big difference right. because I'm not yes. selling features to them. All they care about is benefits. And when you communicate well with a patient and you don't waste time with them, you show them what they need and you're convicted in what you do, patients mm-hmm. see the value. And we've got a positive result in our clinic, 95% positive rating on post surveys that we uh, get from our clinics. Nice. Or we get from our patients. So it's not about selling anything. It's about delivering yes. results, but you can't deliver a result if you don't know how to communicate. And that was the big difference. So now what you had said, you know, before you started Elite, you were ready to get out of practice. Yeah. What, what changed? Why were you ready to, to lead the profession at that point? Um, I was overworked and underpaid. Mm-hmm. You know, we would, we would go and do marketing events on the weekend. There were months where I'd bring in 50 new patients a month. Uh, into the office. And that's a new patient exam, new patient x-rays, new patient report, paperwork that goes along with it. And I do a real exam in my office. I don't just touch somebody for two minutes and then say, you're done. We do over 150 orthopedic tests, range of motion, neurological tests, deep tendon reflexes, sensory, all that's every exam. We do that Mm -hmm. because if you don't look, you can't find it. And so we do that with every patient. Try doing that with 50 patients a month and watching what it does to your team when only 24 of them sign up for care. Right. It's demoralizing to your team. It mm-hmm. beats you down. It is a lot of work that you're doing for free. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got in this business to help people, but I also got in this business to take care of my family. Mm-hmm. And I can't help people if I can't take care of my family. And I take, can't take care of my family if I don't help people, period. Right. And yeah. so I stopped doing all marketing. I don't market at all anymore. Yeah. The only marketing we do is I have a Facebook page. And I will go out and I will give lectures when I'm asked and requested to do so. That's it. That's all the marketing we do. And now we'll bring in 30 patients a month and 26 of them will accept care. It's a big difference. Yes, absolutely. Sean, that is awesome. And, you know, as you're, as you were talking, you know, one of the things that I love about elite and this is like, this podcast is not meant to be focused at elite, but I have to say it because it goes beyond just helping individual clinics do what you did. Like every clinic that I've seen since I've been in, in, in elite, like that's par for the course. Like every, everybody increases three to $400,000 in their first year of, of doing elite. But the bigger, but the bigger picture with elite is that not only are we doing that for individual clinics, but if you've ever noticed there's a unified message through elite. Yes. And if the whole profession got this one message and knew how to communicate it, the pr- profession would be different in a year. The same yes. way that our, that our individual practices were different in a year, the whole profession would be different in a year if they had this one message and they communicated the way we're taught to communicate it. It would be huge. And I'll tell you what, I'm to the point now that, you know, I've had four associates, no, actually, yeah, I've had four associates in my office. I've interviewed over 50 and most associates don't even make it past a zoom call interview in my office because I know they can't do the work. 
Right. They, and you know, in my office, I only will, I will only hire a CVP certified doc and they're required to learn elite period. And so with what you're doing with teaching students, you know, I reached out to you in the past and said, I'm looking for a student who's been trained with elite because yeah. I don't want to spend four months mentoring that student on the basics of the basic things that we should have had when we were in school because it, it's such a long process when you do it that way. So then I have to teach them clinical protocols in my office. We have to learn EHR. We have to learn paperwork. We have to learn the community. We have to learn the players in the community who our referral sources are. And I got to teach them how to communicate. Mm-hmm. We got to teach them scripting, which I don't really like that word. But if you don't know what you're going to say, yeah. <laughs> you're an unscripted person and you have no idea what's going to come out of your mouth. Right. You know what I mean? You should know what you're going to say to people. It's right. not about following, you know, words on a page. It's about understanding how you're going to respond to questions. Right. And when I, when I know somebody who's been through elite or I know somebody who's been through the CVP training, we speak a different language. We yes. totally do. And it's like stepping into a different country and only knowing five words, you're not going to do well there. Right. And it takes time to get good at that stuff. And you've got to repeat it. You've got to train on it. And I know that anybody who's been through elite has trained their ass off. I know that anybody who's done CBP has done the same. They're going to be mm-hmm. a very high level doctor. They're going to be able mm-hmm. to communicate very well. They're going to have a great skill set. And it's going to make that transition from, you know, small practice to big practice or student into clinical realm. It's going to make a huge, huge difference. And uh, those are the only docs I hire in my office anymore now. And the learning curve in my office used to be a year for a new doctor. It's about two and a half mm-hmm. months now just because of that. And they, they yeah. flourish within the first two or three weeks. I mean, they're, they're kicking butt and that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. That's great. Sure. Yeah. So let's wrap it up with my favorite question. Yes. If right. you could, ready? If you could pick one, only one piece of advice that you would give to a chiropractic student, what would it be? Um, well, this would be the same piece of advice I'd give to anybody who's getting to start on their own is um, it's a two-part answer, okay? okay? One is create your vision. Two is work your plan backwards from that vision. And three is implement. If you want to be successful, you can have all the dreams in the world, but if you don't write them down, they're never going to become goals. If you don't set effective timelines and if you don't set a plan, you're never going to be able to realize them and you've got to implement. And I don't mean implement once a week. I mean, Mm -hmm. implement on a daily basis and continue to implement. That's the only way to become successful. And none of us went to school for eight years of our life to be unsuccessful. That's not what we're here. That's not what we're about. Um, Mm -hmm. So the vision's got to come first, plan's got to come second, and implementation has to come third. If you try to do it in a different way, you're going to screw it up. It's not going to work. Awesome. That was was very good advice. Perfect. Yes. Right way to close. Awesome. Awesome. Sean, (laughs) thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this um, for our students and for our profession. And. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And see, the the cool thing about this is I'm surrounding myself with people like you guys, which can also be mentors. Just our relationships together and meeting and greeting and talking 
can be valuable because we can learn so much from each other. And it goes right back to what we were talking about earlier, finding mentors. And they can be your colleagues. They can be your classmates. Just share the wisdom. Yes, yes. absolutely. And that's why we do this podcast as well. Absolutely. So, Sean, thank you again. Um, I hope to see you. I hope to see you in Atlanta. Will I see you in Atlanta next month? Um, next month, Elite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I got to talk to my wife about that because we were actually considering taking our entire team back to Elite training this year. Oh, cool. So um, we've got a we've got a crazy year this year with some things in uh, timelines, lifestyle, what we're doing here at the office and growth. And uh, I actually, I hope to see you there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. All right, everybody have a great week. John and I will see you next week. Yes, we will.